welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, a Dark Sun podcast. I'm your co-host, Jesse. And I'm your co-host, Robert. Tonight, we have legendary Dark Sun artist, Tom Baxa. Welcome, Tom. Wow, thank you. Legendary, I like that. <laughs> hey, I I think that's underselling it. You are my favorite artist, so <laughs> I'm oh. very excited to have you here. Cool. So we're going to talk about some news first, and then we will get to chat with Tom. So first, uh, Athos.org news, um, the Crimson Sphere, a Dark Sun Spelljammer crossover, was recent, recently released on Athos.org. Uh, and that's pretty timely because, you know, Spelljammer was just released for fifth edition. So uh, they they did a, those guys did a lot of work to get it out quickly. And uh, it's pretty cool if you check it out. Yeah, there's also uh, some new articles on Athos.org. One's part two of a short in-character write-up of a Rulethon life shaper named Zontosu. Uh, and, of course, we have another Athasian survey project. This one's about Trade Nest in the village of Ral. The Athasian survey project goes all over Athos to see different parts of the world, so it's great inspiration if you're a DM or if you're making a new Dark Sun character and you're thinking, maybe I want to be from somewhere unconventional, not one of the city-states. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a great project. Jack originally did those in the Facebook group and he kind of expanded them to put on the web. Also recently I ran a poll on uh, on the arena which is the athos.org um uh, forums. Forums, thank you. Um about what kind of time period most DMs usually set their dark sun games in. The options were like free year 0 before Kalak died, free year 1 after Kalak dies, free year 11 after the Pentad. For year 311, which was Paizo's timeline, uh, and then something else. And not surprisingly, 59% of people chose uh, free year zero before Kalak died, followed by 19% chose free year 11, 15% chose free year one, and then 7% said something else. So that's, uh, you know, not surprising, but interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, people really like the classic setting. Mm -hmm. Um Along with this, the Adventures Under the Dark Sun blog over on a different part of the web released a new monster, the Aloe Lacerta. It's part reptile, part plant. I guess so your sun, be sun balm can walk beside you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, that that is some real uh, <laughs> lizardy agave hooch, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris Moneymaker, a Dark Sun fan, interviewed Jack Meyer from the uh, Pristine Tower Development Group. Uh, as well as Luke Swaddling about their kind of contributions to the Dark Sun fan communities. You can find those links um, on his YouTube channel, which of course we will post in the show notes. And there's some new actual plays this month, Dune Gangs and Dust Devils actual play podcast with DM Josh Del Villar, a.k.a. Athasian Runner on Twitter, who of course is a huge Dark Sun fan, like many of us, and runs a great game, so that's worth checking out. Definitely. And episode 35 of the Lawful Stupid second edition Dark Sun game run by Mark Hope, longtime Dark Sun fan. Uh, they are now headed to the road, uh, uh, the road to Valley of Dust and Fire. So that's serious business, as anyone yeah. who knows Dark Sun uh, yeah, understands. They, so they're just going on and on like every week they're on, which is awesome. Right, right. Mark runs an awesome game. Danger Zone. <laughs> All right, let's get to Tom Baxa. So, uh, Tom, welcome once again. I, I'm super excited to, to have you on. Um, so, how did you how did you get started doing art for for D and D? 
Well, uh, I did go to college and get a degree in illustration. I went to Northern Illinois University, and uh, I studied under a professional comic artist, Mark Nelson. And uh, he's still a professional illustrator. He's worked on a lot of Dungeons & Dragons stuff. and So I got a degree and um, was sending my stuff out to uh, art directors trying to find work. And uh, right before I got out of school, I got my first piece published in Dragon Magazine. So that was really cool. And Mm -hmm. um, once I got out of school, I started uh, just freelancing. And and I was interested in comics and uh, fantasy art. And I was, uh, I, I started with Dragon Magazine, and it took a little while. I kept sending my, my samples in the mail. We did it in the mail in the old days, people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I would send them to the art director on the Dungeon and Dragons side. There was different art directors for the magazine and the games. Mm. So it took a little while, uh, but then I finally did get a call and uh, did some work for them. So uh, that was really cool. And I think I probably uh, talked to them at Gen Con as well. Uh, It's always a good idea to talk to art directors and uh, show them your work in person and and just kind of, uh, you know, let them get to know you a little bit. It it helps you get a job. Definitely. So how long after you kind of started um, doing work for D&D did you get involved with Darkson? I mean, you were there from the beginning, but... uh... How long was it after you'd started from D&D? Well, oh man, it's hard It's hard to say. I graduated in college in 1988, and uh, it was probably about two or three years before I got into D&D and was doing work for them. So uh, yeah, I was um, right almost in the beginning of Dark Sun. So whenever, whatever year that released... Uh, yeah, at least we, in 91. Thank you. Okay, 91. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was... Uh, so just a couple of years after you started. Yeah, just a couple of years. Wow, that's interesting. I, I thought it was longer than that. Yeah, I was um, I was freelancing for them and doing, uh, working on various game books and stuff and, and uh, modules. And then uh, they, they started... I think Tim Brown and Troy Denning had uh, created the game and uh, brought Brom on board to do uh, some covers and uh, did some of the black and white stuff, kind of the initial concept stuff and illustrations that went in the original box set. And uh, shortly after that, they brought me on and asked me to kind of be the full-time artist on Dark Sun, the interior artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, um, can you tell us kind of about that? So like, did you have sort of any, um, you know, did you work with Brahm at all or were you sort of, were you guys kind of separate? Well, um, Brahm and the, some of the other cover artists all were on staff at TSR and they worked on site in Geneva, Wisconsin, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I was a freelancer, so I worked from home. I was living okay. in the suburbs of Chicago, and which was uh, about two, two and a half hours away from Lake Geneva. And um, Mark Nelson and I were both freelancing and stuff, and he also lived in the Chicago suburbs area in Illinois. And so uh, when we finished a job, 
doing some freelance stuff, we would drive up and go to lunch with the, the artists because we knew all those guys. You know, mm-hmm. we we got to know them at Gen Con and through uh, TSR. So we would uh, come up and see everybody and hang out. So uh, when Brom came on, uh, was hired on, he was kind of like one of the new guys. And, uh, you know, we just got to know got to know each other um through that kind of interaction just socially and uh of course we were always looking at each other's work and and stuff like that so that was fun i don't think uh brahm probably didn't have any much to do with the decision making on who they brought on as an interior artist Mm -hmm. uh he might have had some input i i don't know um but uh, it's usually the art directors that decide that kind of stuff. And since, uh, you know, the writers, you know, were really the creators of the, the world, the world setting, uh, I suspect they, at, le- at the very least, you know, the art director probably said, here's a couple of guys we like for this. You know, who do you want to bring on? Mm-hmm. Uh, or which one do you think fits the, the style and things like that. But you know, it's funny because I never really, I never really asked those guys. Um, it was all kind of just a whirlwind and, and interesting to be brought on to do, to be like the full-time artist on a campaign setting for a while. And uh, so that was kind of just really exciting for me. So how did that work? Did they like just ask you straight out or were they like, could you draw these couple things and then we'll take a look at them? Or like, how, how did that work exactly? Uh, I think they'd seen enough of my work to kind of know what I could do. So I didn't really have to do like a tryout, mm-hmm. um, which is not unusual. That's a very good question. Cause sometimes, you know, uh, and it happens in comics very often, like, you know, Oh, we could see you could uh, draw Superman, but can you draw, spider-man you know <laughs> right <laughs> even though you're a talented artist sometimes they like to see what you do on their specific ip but uh-huh. uh, there was nothing like that um i'm trying to remember i think i came in for kind of a meeting and i met uh troy and tim probably for the first time i might have met tim around the office uh in the past but uh we all sat down and they showed me uh, they talked about Dark Sun a little bit and uh, showed me the stuff, the art that Brahm had done mm-hmm. up until that point, just to kind of give me a sense of the flavor of the game and things. So yeah, that's there, what it, sorry. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. There wasn't much of a tryout, but there was some conversations around it, um, and I, I really don't think I did. I don't think any did any illustrations until the very first product I worked on. Did the art directors give you some like reference pieces and say, this is what we're thinking these sorts of creatures and places look like, or did they give you a lot of leeway to just go with your own vision for things? Yeah. You know, uh, they did give me a lot of leeway. I definitely, was springboarding off of what Brahm was creating and he kind of set the initial tone and certainly whenever one of his new cover paintings came out or was ready for the the, the next uh module 
I, I would, you know, take all that in and try and use that as a cue as to, you know, what the buildings looked like, some of his costume ideas and things like that. But I was really generating so much more art than Brahm, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 illustrations of product, if not more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, there was so much more to be drawn and I had an opportunity to kind of invent a lot more and add to the setting. Um, but we, I, I played off of what he was doing um, because he was kind of setting the tone. And then I, I was making sure I, I was kind of following in with that and then, uh, you know, trying to add to it and spice it up and add some d- dynamic stuff and interesting costumes and things like that. Yeah, Brom was basically doing the pinup posters of Athos, but you were going, here's what everyday life on the streets is like. Here's what it's like in the desert. Here's what the different sorcerer kings are like and what the Veiled Alliance is like. All these different touchstones of the setting. That was all yours. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I get a, a description from the art director that so all, all the fiction and the, the, the writing for the game module is created before I am privy to any of that kind of stuff. So the writers are, you know, responsible for all that creation. And then I, you know, brought the visual side to it to kind of enhance what they were already creating. So, you know, it's always kind of a team effort, but um, it, it started with those guys. And I imagine it started even before that with Troy and his novels you know, inspiring the, the game designers and game writers. Definitely. When I look at the, uh, you know, the original Dark Sun box set, it looks like in the, in the regular books, in the, the Wanderer's Journal and the Dark Sun rulebook, it looks like maybe you have like about a quarter of that, those pieces of art. But really where I think where, you know, where I, when I think about Baxa and, and Dark Sun, I always think about the, uh, the adventures and the players' cards uh, adventures because I think mm. there's probably more Dark Sun art than than really any other setting because of those players' cards. There's like you know, I don't know what is there. Let's see, forty or fifty pages. Um, right, of, because in each the, adventure in the flip books, the original mm-hmm. adventures when they decided to to use a different format instead of yeah. just being a, a you know eight and a half by eleven soft cover, but instead it was the the wire-bound, spiral-bound flipbook, every page had an illustration, so you you were just cranking them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of work uh, to get those done, and I don't know, I had like a month, month and a half. Oof. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Um, I think I could feel the cramps in your drawing hand from here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was so much fun, uh, and really need to be on on a cool IP like that uh, I, I had a ball creating stuff for Dark Sun. I, it really fit my wheelhouse and, um, you know, the, and there were so many interesting ideas coming forth from the, the writers and the setting. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And, and it's just all over 10 box sets and supplements. Um, man, uh, 
Robert's compiled a list here. Ivory Triangle box set, City by the Silt Sea box set, Dragon King's Hardcover, The Will and the Way, Gladiator's Handbook, City State of Tear, Earth, Air, Fire and Water, Slave Tribes, Terrors of the Desert, Dark Sun, Monstrous Compendium 2, Terrors Beyond Tear, and you're credited in Veiled Alliance, but it looks like it was Mark Nelson. Was there a story behind that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you... Robert, I mean, do you have more info on that? The only, the only more info, only information I have is that um, uh, Guthe, somebody on Twitter, had apparently emailed you about it, and you said it wasn't you, and that you thought it was Mark Nelson. Then he, they emailed Mark, and Mark said, "Yeah, it was him." Um, but we, I never heard anything more about that, so I didn't know if you had ever heard anything about that, like what hmm. happened there, how you got credited. They he must have sent me an image and I could tell who did the art and uh-huh. I knew it wasn't mine. Yeah, uh, I wasn't sure what product it was for, but uh, Mark didn't do a ton of darks. He might have done you know one or two illos, and it might have even been for Dragon Magazine or something. I mm-hmm. I don't know if that was just a misprint, uh, a miscredit, or or what happened there uh, we'll go down as a gaming mystery <laughs> well i mean you, like like you said you were the kind of staff artist for it so i think you know probably they just put your name on that because it was on everything else <laughs> yeah right it's like oh who's who's the dark sun artist that's Baxa. okay put it in the credit <laughs> uh, there was a time uh, when i wasn't the artist anymore mm-hmm. uh, but yeah for a, a straight run i, I was the guy yeah, Veiled Alliance. And Veiled Alliance was like one of the earlier ones. So it's kind of strange that you didn't have anything in that book. Did yeah, I not? I don't know. No, yeah. No, I don't think you had anything. All right. As I, as I All right. Out. I'm settling this. I'm getting out my copy of Veiled Alliance. And <laughs> I was I'm just looking at it right now. While Jesse is looking at that, um, you know, people love your Thrykreen art. And did you know that uh, one of the Dark Sun Kreen species is actually named after you? No. <laughs> so we interviewed Tim Beach on this uh, on this show, and Tim did uh, Thrykreen of Athis, which is one of the um, one of the books that you that you didn't have any art in, which I thought was surprising because your you know your Thrykreen are awesome and people people really love them. Um, and so he said that he named um, each of the species of Thrykreen kind of after the artist who drew them in that style. So yours was uh, the Toxa, which kind of sounds like Baxa, mm. uh, like the other major. So that was one of the major species in the main, kind of main part of the game. And then the other major species he called Gerald after Gerald Brom because it was kind of his style. Uh, and oh. then there were like three others from, you know, around D&D that had drawn that had drawn uh, Thrykreen. That is really cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun. So, um, I I gotta ask in conjunction with that, um, your envisioning of the Thrykreen is different from how they appeared in first edition D anD D, where they were much more upright. They still had, you know, the the very insectoid features and the extra arms and the additional abdomen thorax assembly and whatnot. But they they were bipedal creatures the way they they appear in modern D anD D settings as well. But in in the Dark Sun stuff, your Thrykreen are are much more like a, a a mantis or a grasshopper or a locust sort of thing was this your decision or an art direction or what made you go that way yeah i think uh i had a lot of freedom uh and i 
I did do pencils, you know, and I think those had to get approved before I inked them. So uh, I just went to town, you know, I, I just, I wanted to play more with bug shapes and a, a large thorax and, and uh, abdomen and stuff and just really kind of play with that. So I, I just started designing them a little differently and um, the art directors probably saw the pencils and thought it was cool and approved them. So that, that was cool because uh, I really like what I did with those and I loved drawing them all the time. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was fun to, to be able to kind of expand on what had been done before and just really make them really wicked and spiky. That's fantastic. I, I love that they are so inhumanoid that the dark sun setting really revels in these characters that are so far abroad from the usual human and human-like uh, characters of other D&D games. Yeah, right on. Um, oh, and I did finish flipping through Veiled Alliance, and uh, every single interior illustration is not you, it's someone else. It's the same artist, because they're all done in the same style. It's a little more rounded than your style, but it's clearly inspired by your work. So someone was taking notes on what you did and then was told, basically, we need you to illustrate this book. I don't know, maybe you had a, a vacation or a sick day, or maybe they had <laughs> scheduled too many products early on. Uh, yeah. But they told someone, do this, but do copy what Bax is doing. <laughs> well, okay. didn't, didn't you say, Tom, that, that you... Uh, learn from Nelson? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Nelson was uh, a professor at Northern Illinois University for <laughs> quite a while, 20, 30 years. And he actually uh, mentored and trained um, several artists that are still working in, in the fantasy industry. Um, uh, R.K. Post. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, Jim Nelson, uh, Jeff Lobenstein. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, Mike Sutfin, who worked on Magic and some D and D stuff, I think, um, and there's others. Uh, so yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I, I and he's he does it. He still does it. Mm -hmm, he just mm -hmm. had uh, some Magic card uh, ink drawings in the um, hmm. I think it was the Baldur's Gate Magic set. It's a D and D crossover set. So. Nice it's entirely plausible that he's doing his particular style, but then he looked at, at reference because there's, there's a lot of material in dark sun that is not Eurocentric in its motifs. That's, you know, draws inspiration from Africa or Mesoamerica or India and Cambodia and things like that. And there's a bunch of those elements in these things. And I think that, that you put a lot of that into the stuff that you did. Brahm tended to do more, you know, gladiators who are oiled up and flexing their quads was his, his <laughs> motif. Um, but you went really far abroad with the inspiration of these stylings, some of which comes from the writing and some of which I'm going to guess just came from your, your own artistic designs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would just kind of pull from visuals. I would see, uh, I, I didn't remember doing a, a tremendous amount of uh, visual research per se. I, <laughs> I, it was a great opportunity for me to just kind of come up with stuff in my imagination and, and play with that. Um, you know, many other IPs are, are, are much more restrictive or you have to follow what has come before and things like that. So uh, it was kind of fun to just, you know, keep playing off of 
what I had done previously, what Brahm was doing, and and just kind of build off of that. Uh, but yes, I certainly was looking at uh, other kind of desert lifestyle uh, peoples of the world and, and things like that, adobe type uh, building structures. And so, yeah, I was definitely pulling in from some, uh, I guess you would say maybe more, less traditional sources. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, much more cosmopolitan in its inspiration than a lot of early D&D, which was pretty heavily inspired by, this is Western Europe, circa 12th to 15th century. Mm. You know. um, uh, so were any of the monsters that you did, uh, things that you drew first and then someone was like, this looks great, let's, let's make a monster out of it? Or was it all like they gave you descriptions and said, okay, here's the art direction for all these monsters that we want you to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I get that question often. Uh, that that first scenario laid out does not happen very often at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we wish it did a little bit more. Sometimes there's collaborations, um, you know, uh, with an artist to create stuff first, and then the writers will write it, uh, you know, the, the stats and things like that. It might have happened on occasion, like maybe I had a creature in a background or like a Thrykreen was supposed to be fighting some monster and I came up with a monster and they might have then wrote it into the game. But uh, that really doesn't happen all that often uh, for an illustrator for hire. Um, again, the, the writers and the game designers are coming up with a lot of that stuff before <laughs> I even hear about it. Uh, and then the art director then usually... Uh, pairs it down for us artists instead of saying hey read this whole adventure and pull some scenes they have decided which scenes they'd like to do uh, and give us a little description sometimes it's really you know pretty wide open like uh, you know we need kind of a, a desert worm that uh, you know is 20 feet tall and is spiky and then I could just make it up totally what he looks like so that's always the most fun, you know, and uh, sometimes it gets a little more restrictive or, you know, I, you need to draw one of the, the, the female barbarians that Brahm had on this, this cover uh, mm-hmm. in an environment that, you know, is mostly Adobe brick setting, you know, it, like that. There might be more description, uh, but in that case, then I get to, I still get to create the composition and uh, create the drama and the action and, and make it dramatic and fun and, and exciting. So that's what I always try and bring to an illustration or creepy or, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scary, especially with the monsters. I want them to be threatening and, and, and creepy for sure. Yeah. Your, your illos are generally not, you know, here's just a guy standing around They're They're always telling some kind of a story, whether it's the, the story of, you know, some people haggling in the market square while some shady business is happening in the background or of someone crawling their way across the desert trying to find any water that they can to survive. The There's always some underlying action that's happening in there. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. I, I try and, uh, you know, bring some of that element in. And some of it was uh, already in the writing and, and they needed that illustrated. 
I mean, that's, that's what an illustrator does. They, <laughs> they bring the story to life with some visuals and, and try and add to it too. So you also did work on, you know, the, the main kind of products, but also you did nine adventures. Um, one of which you did the, the cover for, for forest maker, um, kind of like we were talking about before, you know, you did the, the flip books, you know, probably 50 or 60 pieces for each one. Um, anything else you can kind of remember about any of those, uh, any of those adventures? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, how about, do you remember the, uh, the cover of Forest Maker that you did of the Evangion, the big sort of like butterfly looking thing? Yeah, totally. Uh, that was really exciting. Uh, that was the only painting that I, uh, cover painting I got to do. Uh, I did do another cover painting that was first put on a Ralph Partha miniature set. It was oh like, the, yeah, the, the, the guys in the chariot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that painting for Ralph Partha, hmm. and then I think they used it maybe on an interior. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of exciting because I, I at the time I was almost exclusively doing black and white pen and ink drawings and stuff. So for me to start getting a little bit of cover work was really exciting. Mm -hmm. And especially when I got a chance to do a dark sun cover, I, you know, I was thrilled. Uh, so, that, that became the picture of the ivory triangle book inside the ivory triangle box set. Oh, okay. Okay. okay thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So forest maker. Uh, yeah, that was, that was cool. Um, Brahm had already, uh, designed those creatures that had that kind of evolutionary track to them, mm -hmm. uh, just like the dragons. Uh, or they're not—they're not the dragons, right? No, no, they are sort of like the opposite. Like they were the ones that the—they came from the preservers, so they're quote unquote the good guys. <laughs> right, right, yeah, but they also had an evolution. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's that whole transformation theme where the wizards are channeling magic and psychic energy that's so potent that they're turning into these post-human entities, and the bad guys turn into dragons, and the good guys turn into the Evangians, which are these semi-insectoid angelic beings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I got a look at those, you know, I, I thought, oh, man, that would be really cool to illustrate. It could be that they wanted that on the cover. I, I suspect they did. Uh, and I got to do, you know, pretty far into the, the transformation stage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, he's glowing with light and just this beautiful being. And there's a couple of... Uh, adventurers characters in the foreground just kind of in awe and being surprised by the appearance of of yeah that character so that was that was fun yeah so you talked about the chariot piece uh did you ever see the the miniatures that were made from that i don't i think i got a copy of the box but i never opened it up actually <laughs> Oh, they're yeah, awesome. They're they're great, great looking miniatures. You, you oh, know, if good. you have an unopened copy of that box, that's worth some nickels nowadays. Oh, yeah. is that right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I still have all my Dark Sun, you know, uh, modules and box sets. Awesome. Yeah. 
Fantastic. So uh, you also talked about a custom commission you did, you did of a Thrycrane with a huge sword over on your blog. Was there other custom work that you would consider Dark Sun or Dark Sun adjacent that our fans might want to know about? No, you know, I didn't get a heck of a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I did a pencil drawing for uh, yeah a, a guy who played Dark Sun and loved it. And yeah, it was a Thrycreen. That was cool. You know, how could I say no to that? That was so much fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, uh, no, I really didn't get a lot of, uh, I didn't do a lot of commissions at the time, actually. Um, most of my career was as, a, you know, a working illustrator. And I was usually uh, taking as many jobs as I could just to kind of keep keep the bills paid um and uh, commissions weren't a big part of my art career they still kind of aren't i've done some over time but not a heck of a lot um but uh you know the dark sun universe is just great the 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 thing that i loved the most was the full color monstrous compendium that i did yeah yeah that yeah, was there's a, a lot of great pieces in that for sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was kind of a, a, a stepping stone in my career with my artwork, actually, because uh, I, I I did so many color pieces for that, mm -hmm. and I was kind of experimenting with um, a, a new approach where I would kind of do an ink drawing and then uh, paint over it with acrylics and kind of. Uh, tone down the line work a little bit, but let it still be there. So it was kind of a mix between drawing and painting. And uh, that really was uh, a great moment for me uh, working on that stuff. And, you know, and it was all Dark Sun. So it was some of the creatures that I had uh, already created earlier and mm -hmm. I got to do a color version. And then there were a bunch of new ones in there too. So that was... I mean, any time I could do a bunch of monsters like that, that is just, that's golden. Yeah, that uh, that, that Queen piece that you did, uh, so he, the Queen is holding this gigantic sword with two of his hands. Uh, and so that was inspiration for me. I had a character in a Darkson game that's playing uh, a Queen fighter. And uh, I can't remember how it came about. I think it was, it was actually something random. Like they were like, all of a sudden they wanted to go do this weird thing. So I was like, okay, and so I just kind of made this stuff up on the fly. And then, you know, they found this magic sword. And so I said it was a, a three-handed sword. Uh, and so the, <laughs> yes. the Thrykreen got it. And so obviously Thrykreen's the only one that can use it because he's got four arms. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. I love that. <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That's really cool. So uh, I wanted to know also that the description of Athos as a place varies depending on the piece of fiction in question, not just because it's sometimes the city, sometimes the desert, sometimes it's the last sea of Saragar or whatever, but as an example, it's described in one place as having an olive colored sky, but in some of the art, it's blue skied. In your, your artistic mind's eye, what does Athos look like? What do you see when you imagine Athos? Well, I always kind of thought of it as kind of like a, a the atmosphere being thick with dust mm -hmm. or soot or silt. You know, kind of like um, if uh, there was a fire 
you know, and uh, there's a lot of uh, debris, fine debris in the air. I, I always thought of it as kind of like that, although I, I imagine there's plenty of times where there were clearer skies, uh, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. that's what I thought of it as. And, and, and I always thought of the idea that the wind was always blowing around the dunes and kicking up sand and dust. Um, so I used to, you know, I always kind of had dust flying around, if I remember right, in some illustrations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, I, I'm mostly following what they're laying out. If, you know, if they, in the writing, they were drawing attention to some kind of atmospheric feeling, uh, then I would, I would follow that. Gotcha. So we have a few questions from, uh, from the dark sun group, um, on oh, Facebook, cool. uh, Great. Luke Swadling asked, uh, you know, we kind of went over this, but if there's anything else you, you can add, go for it. Uh, he said, are there any details you can recall about the art direction given for your dark sun work? Like, is there, it's, it, it's such an iconic style now, but there really wasn't a lot in terms of, of visual reference beforehand. So how did that work out? Well, uh, I think, you know, they gave me a lot of freedom to their credit. Um, the art director on dark sun, I'm trying to remember if it was Peggy. I can't remember. There might've been a couple, but I think I worked mostly with Peggy Cooper and she was wonderful. I mean, she would, she knew that if you let an artist kind of go to town and, uh, play in their imagination a little bit and leave them alone, they're going to come up with some great (laughs) stuff, you know? Uh, But, you know, as part of my, my approach to being an illustrator, I do try and stay true to what's happening, you know? And like I said, I would always kind of follow Brahms lead. uh, And if he created a creature, I would, I would follow that and things like that. So it was kind of, uh, I kind of do my due diligence to try and stay true to, you know, the, the universe and, and things like that. But um, it was, it was seldom that they, it, it was really great to work on that, on, on Dark Sun, because they did leave me alone to kind of create a lot of neat stuff uh, based on the fiction and the game uh, fiction that was coming to me from through the art directors so when you're making that sort of amazingly different and distinct stuff frederick leclerc asked uh, that there were other character types and races and creatures that didn't look like anything in the core D book and were there plans for even more variety of these sorts of characters and creatures or was it just a sort of a freestyling and going yeah in this illustration i'm just gonna make someone who looks like he's part lizard uh i i think it came mostly from the fiction um you know the it's funny sometimes you know i i also worked on a lot of the monstrous compendiums if you remember the ones (laughs) that were the three ring binders and all those monsters and stuff and Mark Nelson and I would work on those together sometimes and we would split up the creatures and, and 
sometimes you would get, uh, you know, an art description that said, you know, we need a demon with a chicken head and <laughs> one horn coming out of the side and the body of a, you know, a dragon with goat <laughs> legs. And, and, you know, it was just kind of a mashup that really wasn't all that interesting, but it was kind of what someone might have come up with. And then we had to try and make it fun. Um, <laughs> so a lot of that uh, would come from the writers or they, you know, they don't want to give you too much description too. So they might say, you know, uh, we want this kind of to be a Soren lizard type race. Uh, they're, they're a little hunched over. They have bent legs, but they're bipedal, you know? So, uh, I'll, I'll, I often get a prompt like that and then, then I could just, you know, make it, uh, you know, start designing. So let's say if it was kind of a lizard race, I could decide what types of lizards I would look at uh, and want to incorporate. Would I give them, you know, uh, uh, big fins on their back or would they have webbed hands or more claws or, you know, so I, I was always making those kind of decisions for the most part. Uh, I, I sure hope some of the the writers and game designers, if they're listening or if you've talked to them, <laughs> maybe they can, uh, you know, give you a little more insight. I certainly, uh, mainly because of, you know, it's been a while. I, I'm having a, I, I don't want to uh, discount anybody else's contribution because we, we all were, <laughs> were bringing a lot to it. Awesome. So uh, Jorge Babadilla asks, um, were there any kind of like movies or books that um, that inspired your Dark Sun art or was it pretty much just from the, um, the art descriptions? Oh, wow. Uh, boy, I, it's often the case that all of that kind of stuff, you know, in, in, for me, I was not a super avid reader. So, uh, you know, I hadn't read Token and I hadn't read Dune or anything like that. I was more into movies and comic books. So all that kind of stuff from pop culture always feeds in to, you know, uh, some of the visual stuff and, and costumes and things I was coming up with. And still, still to this day, that's kind of the way I, I, I uh, feed the, the well of, information that I draw from and a lot of it's subconscious too, you know? Um, mm -hmm. uh, but so for dark sun, I wouldn't say there was much that I specifically was looking at. Uh, I would look at stuff from nature. And, uh, like I said before, like, uh, civilizations that lived in the desert, um, and, and how they, you know, built some of their structures, but I was playing it pretty fast and loose. You know, I, I always find it uh, fun to, you know, I'll, I'll bring a certain level of believability to something so it feels like it could exist, but then springboard off of that and make it, you know, fantastical and, and a little, little wacky. So uh, I, I usually didn't draw real tight from life. Uh, so I, I didn't reference things a heck of a lot unless I really felt the need. Hmm. Intriguing. 
well, that speaks well of your uh, creative imagination. Um, so uh, Christopher Justin Moneymaker wanted to know how much time TSR gave you on a typical illustration. Since there were a couple of years there where you were churning out hundreds of illustrations a year, and he also wanted us to let you know that he thinks that your black and white Thrycreen illustrations were awesome and by far the best Thrycreen ever drawn. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Uh, I think we had, I had like probably a month and a half or so to do an entire project. So if it was a box set, whatever was in there, or if it was uh, an adventure module, uh, however many illustrations were in there. Uh, so I, I would do the pencils first and do all the illustrations. That, well, for, of course, I would read the art description first. And if I had any questions or something didn't make sense, I would check in with my art director and or, uh, well, they, the art directors were usually the go-betweens. And then they would go to the game designers and writers and try and get me clarification. And then I would start doing pencil drawings, uh, which pretty much ended up being uh, the straight up pencils that I would then ink. Uh, I work pretty directly that way. Uh, some, some people, some artists do more thumbnails and flush out things. I usually start with the page and, uh, you know, just, I think for a few minutes and come up with a composition that I like, or maybe I'll draw a character on the side a little bit like, Oh yeah, I want, you know, I want this guy to be kind of dinosaur like and, crawling on all fours and then I'll uh, pencil the illustration and then we turn those in for approval and then I ink them so usually the inking phase um, goes a little quicker because everything's already there uh, mostly mm -hmm. um, so that uh, ends up moving along a little quick quicker at the end I'm sure there were times where I was sweating the deadline because, <laughs> you know, it was a lot of, a lot of work and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, doing them in full color, if I had to do them all in full color, it would never happen. I mean, that's why I, I think very often nowadays, you know, most books are, have many artists in them, mm -hmm. um, they would really have to have, you know, they, they're on a production cycle. So, you know, they got to get the book to the printer and, and get it out. So they don't want to spend four months waiting for one artist to do, you know, all these color illustrations or something. So, but back in the day, the black and white stuff went a little quicker. Uh, but it was always hell when I would get like, you know, the bizarre scene. And I was just like, oh man, you know, and you got to put in all these characters and all the, you know, all this stuff going on. And they were fun, but, you know, you're just, I, I'm like, give me the monsters. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, uh, Geekgasm, a page, asks, uh, the costume, the costuming of your characters, they were often having uh, a combination of bright colors and animal prints, strange masks, and ornate headgear. It kind of them, gave them an otherworldly fear or feel, um, like where did those ideas come from? Well, I think, uh, you know, just playing around with 
different shapes and you know I, the cool thing about dark sun that i loved was there was such a uh, scarcity of material that the inhabitants of the world always had to uh, scavenge to mm-hmm. create armor and uh, clothing and, and and things like that so uh, I always kept that in mind, you know, so there would always be pieces of, you know, a, a thick hide, like from some kind of rhino or dinosaur uh, used as armor and, and then leather straps to hold that together and, uh, you know, different pieces of cloth. And uh, I forget there was no metal, right? Or metal right. was really very scary. rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Everything was, you know, made of st- stone, stone blades, and they were held together with, uh, you know, sinew and, and leather strapping and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that was just a lot of fun to play with. Um, helmets and masks create uh, a lot of mystery and, uh, you know, can, can hi- you know, allude to uh, secrets and hidden agendas and, and stuff like that. So on the the bad guys, uh, it would be fun to do that kind of stuff. Um, headdresses and helmets and masks always feel kind of ritualistic and mm-hmm. a, a little more tribal, uh, a little more primitive. So it was always kind of fun to mix that kind of stuff in. I mean, these are kind of the things that an illustrator will think about or, or world creators. It's just how do we get across, you know, what's happening in the environment and uh, why a character might be wearing uh, a helmet that obscures most of their face as opposed to a helmet that's wide open and might have, uh, like, uh, wings on it or something. That might be more of a good guy. Uh, You would have wings or a plume or things like that. Um, so it's just, it's just fun to kind of play with those ideas and bring, bring that element to the characters. I, I love doing the Templars cause I always mm-hmm. was trying to push their costuming, uh, into kind of a, a little darker feel and, and, ha- you know, almost, you know, like cleric flavor, a, a religious kind of tone to it so those, those guys were always fun there's a great piece you did again in in ivory triangle for the city of nibine that shows a procession of a bunch of nibinese templars all wearing ceremonial uh garb that mm. uh is just great inspiration because the each piece is, uh is a little bit different like they're, they're not all wearing the same uniform so to speak mm-hmm. um but they are also very clearly uh, drawing from inspiration that fits more with Nibonet's sort of uh, um, Cambodian or, or uh, mid-Asiatic influences. Um, and uh, similarly, there's, there's a, a bit in an adventure where you have a, a group of, of Nibonese Templars that are ambushing the characters and you did a full page spread in black and white of these four warrior women 
and their garb is also different. There's one in the foreground who's got like this leopard print, and then she's got a cloak over it, and part of the cloak is cloth, and then the other lapel of the cloak is some sort of scaled hide. And then there's one in the back that's got like wood or bone armor, and then one that has this ancient engraved metal breastplate and these striped shorts. And it's it's really a, a standout sort of style because it's showing how everyone is like you were saying a scavenger and so the, there's no um uniformity it's not like there's a particular style and everyone's wearing this style or this is the popular material that everyone uses it's you you take what you can get and you, yeah. you throw that together yeah no that, that's cool and you know you, you said something just briefly that reminded me what's so neat for me as an artist is that uh, you know, I got to imagine this stuff and, and put it down, but the, one of the key reasons it was being done was to inspire you guys as players. Mm-hmm. So when, whenever someone comes up to me at a con or something and, and tells me how much they enjoyed my stuff and it, just like you did, Robert, you know, you saw something that uh, sparked your imagination and you put it in an adventure mm-hmm. for your players. And uh, I mean, that is really wonderful and uh, just fills me up I, for, you know, my art and, and the writers and, and all our ideas to um, be cool in a way that inspires you guys to build off of it and continue to build off of it and play it and enjoy it all these years. That's just fantastic. I'm going to take that and run with it for just a second before we continue on our our list of of questions. There's a a choice that you made in in a bunch of the city pieces that um, I don't know how deliberate and intentional of a choice it was, but it always spoke to me. And it seems like a simple thing, which is you've got illustrations that show nobles and merchant princes and, and high-ranking Templars and sorcerer monarchs, as well as you know adventurers and gladiators and whatnot. Um, but these people might have cloaks or, or long robes and things like that, but nobody's got hems. They've got, all got really ragged edges. <laughs> and it really said to me, like, you're going to wear this piece of clothing until it falls apart even if you're rich rich people can't even afford you know really elaborate clothing or even clothing that looks new because the the things that you have you're going to use until they fall to pieces because that's what this world is like even for the people who who have wealth and power Mm -hmm. um and i felt that that really like laid down a strong impression of what the resource scarcity was like. It's it's so intense that everyone feels it at all levels of society. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, again, that's, uh, you know, concept design and storytelling through visuals. Uh, and it, and it's cool that you picked up on that or, or brought your thoughts to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's something that might be seemingly minor, but it could carry a lot of story. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've got one more Dark Sun question before we head off as well. Uh, as I look through your illustrations, uh, when we get to City by the Silt Sea, which is one of the last, um, the last uh, books that you worked on or, or products that you worked on for Dark Sun, and the art in there, well, 
let's go back. So you, your original art is much more like heavier line kind of drawing. And the art in City by the Silt Sea is there's a lot more shading and, you know, less kind of just lines. Um, do you know, like, why you had that difference? Or was it just a evolution of your art style or or what? Or did you have more time for those pieces? Yeah, I think I think part of it was uh, the evolution of my art style. Uh, I was playing around a little bit more with ink wash and watercolor, um, you know, black and white watercolor. Uh, the the you know, and it might have been advances in technology as well. Uh, black and white line drawings are shot with a a stat camera or were shot with a stat camera which basically saw very sharply in black and white Uh, so you couldn't it was difficult to do gradations and tones and things like that it it was a much more expensive process to reproduce that in books Ah. and then once you know the pc uh got to be in everybody's home and, and, you know, the advances there made interior art a lot easier. It was easier to do more color art and uh, definitely more tonal stuff. And uh, I, I think that might've been part of it. I can't remember if there was a real distinct, you know, technology moment where like, Hey, we could do more tonal stuff now. Hmm. Uh, but it was also part of something I was playing around with with my art as well. It's just uh, moving more towards uh, more tones and more towards adding some painterly elements of paint mm-hmm. uh, on top of just line drawing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Awesome. So beyond Dark Sun, you've worked on a whole bunch of other role-playing games like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, Torg, Shadowrun, Earth Dawn, GURPS. You got any cool stories to tell from those? Wow, you just named a bunch of stuff that I didn't remember I worked on at all. <laughs> well, there's a name I've not heard in a long time, a long, exactly. long time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, as a freelancer, you pretty much were, you know, you had to be hungry and just uh, keep trying to find find work out there uh, because it was seldom. I mean, before I was on Dark Sun, uh, and even then, I was probably still freelancing on some other stuff a little bit. But, you know, Dark Sun, I knew every month I was guaranteed I was getting work and, you know, and I could focus on it. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But part of the fun, too, as a freelancer is you could try out all kinds of different stuff. So if I saw something in the marketplace that I thought was kind of fun and I'm like, wow, that's a cool setting. And, you know, it's got robots and, you know, mixed with fantasy. I'd like to work on that. And so I I would try I'd show my work to the art directors and and try some different stuff. Or maybe they'd seen me or met me at a show and, and and things like that. So I've worked on all kinds of stuff. Um, some of my all-time favorite work was for FASA. Uh, I, I actually was on staff with them for um, a couple years. I worked from home, so it still felt like I was freelancing, but I was a staff artist, and I did a ton of work for them. And that was an amazing period because the art director there, Jim Nelson, from 
Northern Illinois University. He was a little older <laughs> than me, but uh, and Jeff Lobenstein worked there too. And those guys were artists, so they knew what it's like to, you know, be a working artist. So they gave me a lot of freedom. And their their universes, Shadowrun, especially Shadowrun, and then their fantasy world, Earth, uh, Earth Dawn, mm-hmm. which I imagine a lot of the Dark Sun players also enjoyed because that was a really rich and interesting fantasy setting. Uh, but uh, working on Shadowrun was so cool because there were cybernetics and and psionics and and. Uh, you know, robots and then fantasy elements and dragons and uh, magic. So it just had all kinds of great stuff to just bash together and come up with cool stuff. So uh, that, that was a lot of fun for me. Um, Yeah. And, you know, again, I mean, I got to work on, I think the card game for vampire Uh, you know, just sometimes it was just a little bit here and there, a couple of cards. Um, but I worked on a whole bunch of different stuff. And then of course, magic, the gathering, uh, I was able to get in on, uh, in the mid nineties was the first set I worked on and, uh, you know, worked real steady with them for a while. And, and just kind of recently, the last couple of years, I, I've, I've been doing more for them, got back in and, uh, have a bunch of new cards and stuff. So that's been really exciting. Uh, yeah, that was actually the next sort of question <laughs> is like, uh, do you think that sort of these days, is that what you're most well known for the magic gathering work? Yeah, I would say so. Um, a lot of it has to do with the strength of the IP and you know, you have Dungeons and Dragons, which is huge, and you have Magic the Gathering, which is huge. And what Magic was so strong at was building their worldwide tournament system that, uh, you know, got the players involved and they continued to uh, play from their local game stores into the tournament system. And eventually there's a world champion every year. Uh, and that that spread things globally in a in a, an interesting way and i think it, it felt like they had a really strong uh global reach and a large fan base uh so then that of course you know you have the rabid community that of players that are are totally into it and that trickles down to the artists because the art is a very big part obviously of uh, collectible card games yeah and D D is is quite large too uh, uh and i think nowadays probably has more reach than it did maybe in the dark sun days uh but they you know they were you know obviously uh distributing into other countries and things like that so i i, I in my early days i think dark sun and was kind of like a real hallmark for me and uh, a lot of it resonated with a lot of players and they remember me for it uh more than anything else I did for D&D probably 
the Monsters Compendiums I did enough of that I was known as a monster guy mm-hmm. for D&D for a while. But, you know, it's always, it's Dark Sun, which is, is just awesome. And, uh, and then I think also the work I, being at FASA, FASA, FASA for a little while <clears throat> and having a steady run of art in there also, uh, I think helped me stick in some people's minds, but definitely magic and it's still going. I'm still doing art for magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as well as on, uh, your Patreon, which we'll link in the show notes, what kind of content do you put out there? <laughs> well, for my Patreon and actually, uh, in more recent years, I've been doing less illustration work and trying to focus on some of my own, uh, projects and ideas and things like that and grow them and make art for them and things like that. So that's what the Patreon's about, at least now, is much more of my personal more of my personal work. And the main focus is around uh, a novel that I'm writing called Zombie Coven. <laughs> and it's a full on fiction novel and uh I'm working on the fiction still and I've been making art uh, for that. It's going to, you know, it's going to be filled with art. It's not a graphic novel, but it's going to have lots of art throughout of the characters and some of the key scenes and things like that. So that's been a lot of fun. And, and uh, the patrons get the first look at all that stuff and and they get some neat rewards that has that art on it. So yeah, lots of fun. And you sell uh, some prints of your work at BaxaArt.com. Are there any uh, Dark Sun pieces up there? <laughs> no, there isn't. I was just talking to my girlfriend about that. I, I don't know why that never really happened. Uh, well, certainly uh, with any IP and very often as an illustrator, we're doing work for hire. Mm-hmm. And it's a certain type of contract, which means you know, we're being hired to make the illustration, but the company owns the rights to it. Mm-hmm. A- and that means that I cannot reproduce anything I did for Dark Sun to make a profit on it, mm-hmm. to sell it. So I, you know, like the the Forest Maker cover, I can't make a print and sell those. Uh-huh. Uh, I could make something that's Dark Sun inspired or it's got the same kind of flavor. Right. Uh, things like that. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I guess I never really did do much of that. Um, it was kind of neat. I, I'm sure you guys know that I did some work for Tim Brown's kind of. Uh, yeah, uh, Dragon Kings. Dragon Kings. Yeah. yeah. His kind of reinvigoration. Uh, and and I, I forget how he phrases it. It's sort of a reimagining and a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual successor, I think is what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that was kind of just fantastic to do some pieces for that. Yeah. There's, there are several uh, really fantastic pieces um, that can fit Dark Sun as well, uh, as evidenced by literally, I think within the last week uh, on the Dark Sun Discord, someone was asking like, oh, where did this cool picture come from of Dark Sun? I've never seen it. And it was the Crickus piece you did for um, oh. <laughs> for, for Dragon Kings. Awesome. And yeah. so like I told the story and, you know, that, that it was part of that and linked to it and everything. And 
uh, I was like, it's definitely usable in Darkson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm curious, you know, you guys who are, are players of Darkson, do you do you play Dragon Kings? Are they compatible? Do you mix and match them? So th- there, there is definitely a lot of stuff that you could mix and match. I, I don't think it really got a really big following, uh, a huge following. I mean, like, you know, I, I've got everything that come that came out for it. And, you know, it gets brought up now and again. So people are playing it. Uh, I yeah. also know that Tim is, uh, Tim is working on a system. So originally when that came out, it was sort of like just a setting. It was systemless. Yeah. And then... And then we did a few different like short um, PDF releases um, in various systems uh, so that people could play it. But re- what he's working at now at his uh, Strange Owl, uh, what is it? Strange Owl Games, I think. Um, he is doing a, like its own system for Dragon Kings and then they're going to gonna write a new book for it. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I haven't used Dragon Kings directly in my dark sun uh largely because the last time i ran dark sun there's just so much content already that i didn't need feel the need to to pull additional stuff and i was using it as an introduction to some people who were new so i wanted to keep it to like okay here's here's stuff that was in the published material but it definitely has like so many thematic similarities that you could pull inspiration from it it could be very easy to hybridize certain pieces of it there there are other parts that are very different of course um but you know i think there was there was a uh a specific set of inspirations to both Dragon Kings and Dark Sun that, that share some DNA um, that mean that the, the two can cross-pollinate effectively. Yeah, I sure. can see that. Yeah, cool. So every once in a while, I you know, people kind of post pictures of, of original art that they bought, you know, that that is, you know, from wherever, eBay or wherever they wherever they get it. And I've seen several pieces of yours. Uh, do you have any uh, original art pieces <laughs> of dark sun left or, or did people snap those up? I have some, uh, that I, you know, that really I loved and, and wanted to hold on to. Uh, I, I did sell almost all my Dungeons and Dragons art, uh, years ago and in more recent years. So I don't have a lot, but I do, I do have some pieces that I just really, uh, really love. I, I think I have one or two of the GIF black mm-hmm. and white drawings, and I yeah. have I have some some pieces from the the Color Monsters Compendium, and mm. uh, yeah, uh, and that holds true for all the stuff I've worked on. You know, I got some. I have some Fossa art that I just love, that and, and a few Magic cards that I'll probably never sell, even though I could probably get you know several thousand dollars for them. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know. It, you make so much art and some of it uh, you just love and, and some of it you're happy to let go to somebody who's excited about it and, and wants to put it in their house and or, you know, keep it handy when they're campaigning uh, and, and just have inspiration from. So uh, I, I love I'm so honored when people are excited about my art enough to to buy it and want to put it on their wall or, or, or are inspired by it. That's that's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I have some stuff here that uh, probably will never see the light of day because I, I love it. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Is there, there so, other work that uh, you haven't mentioned or that we haven't mentioned that you, you recall that with some fondness? Uh, 
Well, I'm always creating new stuff. Uh, and sometimes some of the, the type of art that really uh, has a special place in my heart is something where I was kind of pushing my boundaries or experimenting a little bit. So yeah. let's say, I'll, yeah, you know, um, uh, I'll just paint a skull with the colors that were left on my palette from the last magic card I painted. And I'll just, it's kind of gummy and a little half dried and I'll use, you know, a really stiff brush and a palette knife and come up, you know, even though I'm painting something fairly simple, I might uh, come up with some imagery with the approach that, that really was cool for me. Um, you know, I, I, I do like to try and not only with the, the characters and the visual, uh, you know, styling of, of the characters and monster designs and things. I also like to try and bring in some elements of, uh, the paint itself and, um, you know, the movement or the, the stroke I put down. So sometimes working with really thick paint, I could get some really neat stuff. Things will blend in an unexpected way and, and get a really cool effect or allude to something uh, a little more scary uh, in the tactileness of the actual physical paint. So that kind of stuff is, is really cool and gets me jazzed. Um, and people can look at my website uh, under the, the dark art section and see more of my personal work there and uh, and get a sense of what I'm talking about and, and see where I'm experimenting a little bit and, and pushing things. Some, sometimes when you're doing an illustration for hire, uh, you have to be able to convey what's necessary for the game. So I might paint a little tighter and make sure I'm I'm, uh, you know, getting the idea across and when I'm doing personal work, you know, I could, I could just spatter and, and do some things that I wouldn't normally do in an illustration. And, uh, it could really, it could really speak to me and whoever's looking at it in a different way. That's fantastic. We'll definitely link to that stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that's about gonna do it for us tom thank you so much for coming on it was really a pleasure to talk with you it's been yeah, absolutely this was, fantastic this was so much fun uh long time coming like i'm like yeah i can't believe i've never been on your podcast before. I, I know like it was not too long ago i was like oh my gosh i know tom why is he not on the podcast yeah <laughs> I, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and you know i'm happy to come back again and, and you know answer more questions and things and uh uh, it, it's just a lot of fun and I'm glad people are still excited about dark sun and want to hear about it. Uh, I, I have to say, I wish I had more, you know, really intriguing stories around it, but, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in the middle of it, sometimes you don't realize, you know, how special something can be. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm having a good time doing the illustrations, but I'm also going, you know, man, I got to get these 25, things done in a month and so you know it's, it's always this mix uh but then when i hear from guys like you who you know been playing for a long time and 
really enjoy it. And that's just really special for me. And uh, in fact, I was just at a magic event and I had somebody come up to me and say they used to play Dark Sun and they remember my work from there. And that just is, is really fantastic and makes me feel good. And I'm glad that I was able to contribute to this universe that people enjoy so much. Well, thanks again, Tom. Uh, you know, we can find you at your Patreon, your backsaart.com. Is there any, anywhere else that uh, people can find you online? Yeah, certainly. Uh, Baxaart.com is my main hub and you could always start there and find everything else. But in general, uh, I usually use at BaxaArt. So it's Twitter slash BaxaArt, Facebook.com slash BaxaArt. So um, that's the same thing, Patreon.com slash BaxaArt. That's how people can find me. Fantastic. Thanks. And Jesse, where can we find you online? I'm still uh, on Twitter, uh, Jesse Heinig at Twitter, although who knows how long that will last. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you can <laughs> see me on Facebook and every once in a while I'll pop in at the arena on athos.org as well. And what about you, Robert? Where do we find you? Uh, same on, on Twitter. I'm at radu76 for, as you said, as long as that lasts. Uh, you can find me on the Discord, on the Dark Sun Discord, the Dark Sun Facebook group, the Arena. Uh, I also join Mastodon on that. I'm Radu at tabletop.social. I joined Hive. I'm Radu on that. So, yeah, I'm around. But that's going to do it for uh, tonight's show. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you, Jesse. This was episode 26 of Bone, Stone, and Obsidian with Tom Baxa. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.